If you listen to this podcast and follow what we do at Troutbitten, then you're a thoughtful angler, and you don't accept the status quo simply because that's how it's always been done. Squall of Fishing designs and creates fly fishing apparel with this same philosophy. Squalla was started by a group of lifelong fly anglers who spent their careers working for some of the biggest names in the outdoor industry, and they understood that essential fly fishing apparel like waders, jackets, sun gear, and insulation could simply be better. So now, Squalla makes gear for us, the like-minded few, serious anglers who don't take themselves too seriously. Check them out at squallafishing.com. Water is essential for life, but for Orvis, it's the blood of the brand. Orvis has been the leader in fly fishing since 1856. No other brand can match the explorative and innovative spirit they bring to the water today. Everything at Orvis is about inspiring and empowering adventure and wonder in nature. Rooted in the vitality of fly fishing, fueled by passion and curiosity for the outdoors, Orvis designs and develops products and experiences providing the knowledge and expertise to enable more meaningful moments and connections in nature. With over a century and a half of experience in the field and on the water, Orvis seeks to ignite that passion in others. This is the Trout Bitten Podcast. Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten? Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten? Yeah, Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. It's about trout. Wild trout. This is Trout Bitten. This is the Trout Bitten Podcast, and thanks for tuning in. I'm Dominic Swantoski, the owner of Trout Bitten and the author of TroutBitten.com. All right, so tonight's topic is about learning a new river, discovering its standards and its secrets. So we like mixing up these topics, and we've worked through some very detailed, tactical stuff in this podcast series. We've talked about streamer tactics and hatches. We've discussed the importance of efficiency. We've talked about bigger trout, about finding your water and sharing the water. And we did a full podcast on fly casting. You can find all of those and more among the first three seasons of this Trout Bitten podcast, along with a wealth of companion resources on the Trout Bitten website, and on the YouTube channel. And for tonight's topic, a whole lot of the stuff in those other topics has to come together for this one. You can't really learn a river until you've learned to fish. You need some confidence in your skills to fish a section of new water, to fish it well, and then walk away with some opinions about what the river holds, rather than asking questions about your own techniques and decisions. Learning a river comes by dedicating your time, You must give a part of your life to a river to learn it from top to bottom. And yes, it it takes seasons on the water just to crack the surface, and it probably takes a, a decade or more to crack the code. For many of us, for those who do live a fly fishing life, who dedicate our free time to pursuing trout and learning the game, the questions that a watershed asks are seductive. Why do you find fewer large trout in the lower island section? in the fall? What river conditions are required for trout to move to the shallows in your river and comfortably feed after dark? When should you expect the sulfur hatch on your favorite river? And are there two sizes or just one? These questions have answers. And the more we fish one waterway, the more details we discover. 
the more data we enter into a catalog of knowledge about our favorite trout stream. Rivers are ever-changing, complex ecosystems of life, water, and land, influenced by weather, surrounding community development, and sometimes the anglers themselves. Nothing is static. Nothing is truly predictable out there. But there's also no denying the habits of trout. And once you spend time wading with these fish, observing their habits and watching how the changes affect their behaviors, then time itself finally stacks in your favor. The observant angler becomes part of that ecosystem, and he begins to predict the paths of trout by instinct. Achieving that level of knowledge is a rare reward, but it is attainable, and the journey toward that knowledge is a respectable pursuit. So I'm joined again by the Trout Pit and crew, Trevor Smith, Matt Grobe, Bill Dell, and Austin Dando. Uh, we're missing Josh Darling tonight from Wilds Media. So I can tell you that each of these fishermen know their local waters exhaustively. From deep to shallow, from bank to bank, winter, spring, summer, and fall, they know the rhythms of their waters. Guys, how's it going? Good. Good. Hey, how we doing? Good. Fishing's good. Nice. What's the latest out there, Trevor? Ooh, everything's moving. Bugs are hatching. Three-dimensional. The daylight's increased. It's three-dimensional fishing. 3D, baby. It's my favorite. <laughs> See, I'm jealous of you guys. Tell me. I'm just jealous just because all this, you guys have ample opportunity, and we're in, we're in uh, the midst of runoff, and so uh, our chances mm. get minimal this time of year. Yeah, that is tough. Here. Real tough. We'll send you there's, fish pictures and make you feel better. I mean, there's still play. You can, like, if you want to fish, you <laughs> was, can fish. It's right. Just, it ends up being. I was just going to ask that, Matt. But it condenses people. Mm-hmm. Yep. There you go. So right now you're saying in Montana, for the most part, everything's kind of high and what, muddy and cold. Yeah, it's but high, you're, But muddy. there's still places to find some water to fish? There's still tailwaters. Um, yeah. And, and basically mm-hmm. anything from a tailwater down to where a, a tributary dumps in is, is fair game. Um, and then some spring creeks, um, we'll fish and then, you know, other place, some other places that might have like a northernly facing mountain, you know, might not melt uh, as quick as others. Yeah. Um, but overall, long story short, everybody gets kind of crammed into a smaller area out here Uh, during this time. And you know, you got to get creative like we've talked about in the past couple episodes. <laughs> yeah, that that happens here. I call it the perfect storm when all of the uh, the stocked waters are closed and then many of yeah. the other wild trout streams are blown out and you have one or two, just often one of our favorite streams is just, well, hey, that's flowing perfect. So everybody fishes it. Yeah. Everybody who has yep. cabin fever before the official opening uh, second week of April. Yeah, I call it the perfect storm. It's like everything's set up. With, if anybody wants to fish, you know right where they're going to be. Right. Mm-hmm. Very similar. Yep. The habits of anglers yep. are predictable, right? Absolutely. Hey, you guys have your mugs? Trevor. Trevor has his mug. I see it. That's a nice <laughs> mug. Nice. I know. It's a great mug. I need my mug. I know, brother. I got to mail you your mug and your leaders for the win a couple Every weeks week. Every week. This is like three weeks. I'm, just, <laughs> I know. I'm stuck with a, a five-year-old <laughs> Harvey leader. My Harvey leader's kinked. It won't castrate. <laughs> I'll mail it out to him. Yeah, I got yeah, it. I'll put you in charge of all mailing. How's, how's that, Trevor? You just That's mail fine. everything from Trout. Don't, don't agree well, I don't to it. I don't know about that. Don't <laughs> agree to it. Don't do that to yourself. Remember, leaders will be coming someday soon. Trevor Trevor feels bad for me, so he's going to send me my leaders. I am. Yep. I'm just so, tying them up for you myself. 
Hey, did you get your second package, Matt? I did, and I got your uh, message. Maybe Bill should be in charge of of shipping. Yeah, Mr. Pen Pal. Yeah, he's already sending them sweetheart packages. Bill, Bill's a good. I mean, I, he pal. says he's going to get me red amnesia, and he does, and he sends it in three days, three day priority. I mean, the dude's what was legit. the second package? He's reliable. More amnesia. <laughs> and I leave him a little, uh, leave him a little note in there, mm. some drawings. He does. It's an interesting drawing. <laughs> Yeah. It, it wasn't a picture of a trout. <laughs> no follow-up question. Yeah. And so it's come to this. And so it's come to this. <laughs> so I guided Dustin and Dirk oh, last week, week before maybe. And uh, Dirk, we get, we get out of the car. and Or Dirk gets out of the car. He goes, hey, hey I have a box for you. And he gave us six, six mugs. Dirk owns Fox Cross Pottery. I just wanted to give him a shout-out because I thought it was really neat. He gave yeah, each cool. of us these awesome... Uh, Awesome mugs. And, yeah. well, you can pour any liquid you like in them. Yeah. <laughs> Whiskey. So, right, the other night, uh, what beer was that you poured in there, Trevor? Ooh, Bourbon County Stout. You said of, that's yeah. a pretty fancy beer. Yeah, it's a, a pretty sought-after beer, a limited sought release after. out of Goose Island Brewery up in mm-hmm. Chicago. So, Dirk, the guys broke the mugs in with the right, uh, right liquid. Mm-hmm. Anyway, thanks, Dirk. That was super cool. We had the fire over at Trevor's place, gave everybody their mugs. Well, uh, Bill is going to mail out Matt's mug because he's now in charge of shipping. There you have it. <laughs> nice. All right, professionals, as per usual, lots of questions coming in this week. And again, sometimes there seems to be a theme or something that sticks out. I had three questions on this topic this week, so I thought we should give it some airtime. Austin, will you read this one, please? Yeah. Hello, Troutbitten Podcast crew. That's us. My fishing friends and I absolutely love what you offer up every week on your podcast. Even many of my non-fishing friends are now listening just for the entertainment. Hey now. Thanks for your effort each week. That's cool. That's totally me. (laughs) Trevor Smith was recently a guest (laughs) on another podcast we listened to. Trevor Smith. Hey now. Smitty! Hey. (laughs) And he talked about fishing dry flies on the mono rig. You probably won't be surprised when I tell you that most of my group are diehard monorig devotees. Mm. It is a great system for nymphs and streamers, and I've used it for dry dropper too. But I was surprised to hear Trevor talk so much about fishing dry flies alone. We were wondering if you'd talk a little more about this. When would you do it? What's the advantage? And do you make adjustments to the leader formula? Thanks again. I hope you picked my question. Wendy. <laughs> I know. I like she that. Said, I, I like that, Wendy. You won the lottery, Wendy. That's right, Wendy. <laughs> That's Congratulations. Great. We don't know if you have great answers, but we picked your question. <laughs> we like it. So Trevor's an all-star. He was over there on uh, on Jason's uh, Wait Out There podcast, which we like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We do. And you were. You were talking a lot about the, uh, the mono rig. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, that caught my ear, too, because... It sounds like you fish dry flies alone on it. Maybe a little bit more than I do, but I do it. Mm-hmm. I think we all kind of do it. Yeah, for sure. We should identify first what we call the mono rig, right? Mm. It's a tight line nymphing system. I say it's a hybrid system because uh, it's great for fishing uh, nymphs of all styles. You can fish tight line nymphs and you can fish split shot. You can fish drop shot with it. You can fish an indie rig with it. Um, yeah, we fish streamers. I mean, of all sizes, small, oh, yeah. yeah, jig streamers. Great. But then, yep. um, medium and articulated streamers, big ones, small ones. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. And then we fish dry dropper with it. And yes, sometimes we fish dry flies with it. Trevor, tell yeah. us more about that, dude. Yeah. I think to me, 
first of all, that versatility is what sold me on the mono rig because yeah, probably many anglers have found themselves in similar situations fishing, particularly in times of year like we're in right now, where in a day on the water, you go through a lot of evolutions of what's the primary source of the trout's food, yeah. um, whether that be nymphs or, or bait fish, and then flies hatching and, and coming out on top of the water. And you hate to miss out on any one of those aspects when you have actively feeding fish. Yeah. And as all fly fishermen know, you know, catching trout on a dry fly is one of the special, really special things about the sport. And Euronymphing, to me, was a limiting set of techniques and rigging that sort of left you scratching your head a little bit when it came to what to do in the situation in which you move into a hatch. Do you change rods? Do you change spools? Yeah. Do you change? What do you do? You're making some, there's always some concession you're making. And so I have loved and always loved just the fact that on the mono rig you can throw dries and much of the water that I fish doesn't require casts that outpace the mono rig's ability to cast these dries. And so if I'm presenting that fly at 20 feet or 25 feet, you know, I think we've talked about maybe even out to 30 feet. It depends on the size of the dry you're trying to cast and how effective yeah. you are and what the wind's doing and everything. But, um, man, I like, I like getting close into the fish and being a little bit tactical in terms of your drift and approach. And I also just love the fact that on the mono rig, you, you have less effect on your line on the water from the current Less drag. They're yeah, right. There's less long. drag. And there are situations in which you can tight line your dry fly, which is also mm -hmm. a pretty awesome thing. So, I, man, I just, I think I've had fun. You know, this time of year, our, the turbidity in the water is usually pretty high because we're getting rainstorms. And so you can really sneak up on feeding fish. Yeah. And so getting key. in proximity and sort of picking them off at closer ranges, it's just really fun. Um, I've just, I just really like that aspect to the monorig. I love that. Mm -hmm. I will point out, and then I'd love to hear what the rest of you guys have to say, that I think the way we all fish the monorig is not a super thin butt section, not like a five pound or eight pound or even 10 pound butt section. Right. Now, sometimes we do that, but I think what we're talking about here is what we call the standard mm -hmm. uh, monorig. Mm -hmm. I call it trout pit and standard monorig. Yeah. And it's a 20 pound butt section. You can go down to about a 15 pound butt section of maxima chameleon yep. let's right say yep. and you will still have what i call fly line style performance if you stand there and cast it without any weight on there you can cast it like a fly line therefore you can do what trevor's talking about and cast a flyer okay cast a dry fly around it'll push things out there to a target with <laughs> with good casting fundamentals right anyway i'm just pointing that out because that's the way we all build our mono rig um i think i speak for everybody right yeah. Yep. We all do that. Yeah. Okay. So we all yep. build it that way usually. I, I do 15 pound. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I'm with you, Grobe. I, I start mm -hmm. with the 15 too these days. So we all build it that way. So we still have that fly line style performance. It's also good for pushing the indies around, the yarn indie even. Um, it's good for pushing a dry dropper around. And it's good for great turnover and tuck casting and deciding where that tippet goes in addition to just where the fly goes, even when we're just tight lining. So anyway, we have that performance. Um, personally, I fish it, I will say I fish dries rarely on it, but I'll do it. If I just see a few and I'm like, Hmm, I'm going to hit that. And I'm going to hit that. 
And Wendy asked if we make adjustments to the leader. I'm going to say, honestly, I don't know. I've written about the fact that I do, right? I've written yeah. and I say, oh, if I'm really going to fish uh, with a mono rig and then dry flies, yeah, I'll often take the, I used to take the cider out and uh, put some nylon, maybe five, five X nylon on there instead of fluorocarbon. These days, mm-hmm. I just kind of leave the cider in. I just clip the nymphs off, put a dry fly on the point right on. And, because I'm often amazed by the performance. What about you guys? Same. I'm in the same boat. Like, versatility right is kind of what we all started coming back around to trevor you hit on that quite a bit the versatility yeah Yeah. and the fact that and the reason that works is that we can almost tight line to these to these flies or to this dry fly yeah and we can make a cast while just keeping our nymphing leader on putting the dry on the tag putting a a dry a dropper below it if you want to Mm -hmm. but when we make the cast we can still keep like 80 percent of the line off the water yeah and it's pretty incredible because, you know, any sort of uh, fear of your um, fluorocarbon sinking or creating some sort of uh, weird drag really is, it, it just, it's negligible. It, it's mm-hmm. not in your, it's not in the equation at this point because it's it really not isn't. on the water. It's not a forecast. Um, so I kind of do the same thing. And it's nice, like Bill and I were out the other night, right? And we started nymphing and then we went to streamer fishing. Yeah. And then we went back to dry fly fishing at the end of the evening. Yeah, and instead of standing there in the the half light that was left, trying to switch a leader out and get into a fly line situation, mm. all we did was clip a couple flies, and we were in the game again. So it's just right it's so nice. Good point. Yeah, I feel like if you're fishing a river that has a lot of boulders mm. and a lot of kind of complex seams in it mm-hmm. that are caused by boulders, most times you're not going to stand there and throw fly line 20 feet because you're going to hit all those complex seams and it's going to create a ton of drag. And so if you're going to fish a dry fly in that, it's more effective to do it with a mono, like you're saying, like a 20 pound butt section. Yeah. Because there's, you don't have the mass of trying to control that fly line. Mm -hmm. You're just kind of, you know, picking apart those boulders, letting the fly drift right along the boulder. Yeah. Um, had a trip this weekend and the mono rig dry dropper was the ticket. And we, it was about half and half, like half of the fish took the dry, half the fish took the dropper. Yeah. And so, but yeah, what Wendy's asking here is just straight, uh, single dry fly, no dropper. Yeah. I will say if it's, if it comes down to, I know I'm going to fish dries and I'm, it's going to be a pool and it's going to be flatter water. And I know right. I'm going to need to cast more than two rod lengths. Yep. I'm going to put fly line on. Same. Agree. I mean, I'll switch over to a George Harvey dry fly leader. Usually for me, if yep. I plan on fishing it for, I'm going to say more than 15 or 20 minutes. I was just going to say, I think you guys are covering it. I mean, you covered it well. I think for me, for my applications, mm-hmm. that complex current that, that built, touched on is the main factor that i like that'll keep me throwing the mono rig i just had it happen to me with you know size 18 blueing olive hatch and i got close and i you know the drift in that scenario is killer yeah there's like no drag yeah there's no drag at all now I didn't have too much wind to deal with. That's that's one mm, other, you know, eh, man, if I'm throwing a size 18 on the on that rig, I could I could have some challenges um yeah. to where it might provoke me to use uh 
fly line a little more. Yeah. So yeah, I think we're all uh, coming to the same to the same point. And I like to use the best tool for the job, and that's why I use the mono rig for so many different things. And yet, when it isn't the best tool for the job, and when I plan to do it for a long time, I love the performance of fly line pushing things around. I got great mending, like aerial mending. Most of my mends happen in the air. I get to really place those loops and curves and, and S-curve slack wherever I want. I love that. And I pair it up with a George Harvey dry fly leader. We should do a full podcast on the Harvey leader. I love I love the Harvey. Yeah, I've heard that. <laughs> You've heard it. Um, no, seriously, I love uh, fishing that way. And I'm. it's, it's coming to the season where I'm going to do that a lot. I mean, that's, I do it a lot now, but I mean, it'll be my go-to tactic here pretty soon. As soon as the terrestrials start really becoming the thing, when the main hatches are over, that's what I do all summer long. That's my go-to. I love it. And so the fly line's fantastic for what it's good for. It was not designed to be fishing nymphs under the water. It was not designed to be fishing weights under the water. It's not. That's a fact. But it was designed and is still very good for pushing unweighted things, for pushing air-resistant things to a target. When you have weight in built into the system, it is not the best tool for the job, but the mono rig is. Yeah. Good stuff. Imagine if someone put as much time, thought, and effort into designing fishing apparel as you put into finding fish. Well, someone did. Squala Fly Fishing builds waders, jackets, shirts, and pants so well-designed dependable and comfortable, you hardly notice them. When you're wearing Squala, you're never hot or wet or unreasonably cold, so you can focus on more important things like fishing. They don't make gear for everybody. They make gear for us, the like-minded few, serious anglers who don't take themselves too seriously. Check them out at squalafishing.com. Then use the code TROUTBITTEN10, that's the number 10, for 10% off your first order from Squala. Precision Fly and Tackle is a family-owned business with a passion for the outdoors and a sense of adventure. They are anglers who enjoy every moment spent on the water with family and friends. Precision Fly and Tackle carries the widest selection of Euro rods, reels, lines, leaders, flies, and accessories. From the beginner to the advanced angler, Precision Fly and Tackle can outfit every angler, no matter the budget. Visit them online at precisionflyandtackle.com. Then use code TROUTBITTEN10, that's the number 10, for 10% off your order. Gear up with Precision Fly and Tackle for your next adventure. All right, so let's move into our topic. Uh, Learning a new river, discovering its standards and its secrets. Guys, you want to jump in right here? I mean, uh, how do you learn a new river, and what do you think? You asked Matt to tell you where all the, the good spots are, right? Is that how you start? <laughs> yeah, that's the shortcut. You end up that's catching carp. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not telling you. I don't know. I, I guess if I want to fish a new river, my first step is to research research it. Yeah. Um, mm. I'm going to look at Google Maps, and I'm going to look for, you know, bends in the river where I know there might be pools, or I'm going to look for islands because islands usually create structure. Yeah. Um. And Trout gonna, structure, yeah. Yes. Then I'm going to look, try to find some information about the fish population. Is there a mm-hmm. lot of them? Is there not a lot of them? Then I kn- kind of know what I'm getting myself into, at sure. least. 
Like that's where I start. Mm-hmm. You're a big Google Maps guy, aren't you? Like four oh, yeah. podcasts in a row. You've got Dell yeah. talking about Google Maps. Maybe. Yeah, if they want to sponsor me, I'm good for that. I'm good for that. <laughs> I don't think, right? I don't think we're getting Google on board. This yeah, podcast so. is sponsored by Google. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> they don't need us. They don't need us at all. Bill, I liked your comment about um, even just the, the population. Um, a lot of streams have, uh, you know, shocking studies or things like yeah. that where they'll tell you, know how many fish they uh, shocked per section and sometimes they'll even show you photos and tell you where the fish came from in those uh, public studies so definitely look for those things yeah i agree yeah it is a great place to start yeah when you're doing your homework with that i think another thing to understand is you know is the stream you're fishing right you're doing all this legwork before you get there is it popular yeah. or is it not because if it's popular nice. yeah. and you you yeah. have a lot of information oh, yeah. that you can you can get before even stepping foot in that creek yeah. whereas if you're going to a B list stream something that you you don't hear much from you're going to be going in a little bit more blind than the popular and mm. i think that's just something you have to either embrace or, uh, you know, uh, yeah. learn the hard way, like the rest of us. Right. You have to kind of love it if it's that B or C list kind of stuff. And mm. you have to love that exploration. But if you just move into town and, you know, you buy a new house, whatever, and all of a sudden you have one of these blue ribbon trout streams, you know, within 15, 20, or 30 minutes, mm-hmm. you're like, I'm going to learn this river. And like yeah. you say, dude, there's a lot of information on, well, every blue ribbon trout stream across the country. Bill, to add also on to the research piece, one thing I really like understanding is, you know, a little bit maybe about either the geology of that river or even just like yeah. the water flow and where it comes from. Is this a spring-fed mm. limestoner, freestone, oh, tailwater? Great point, great and, point. Right, because to me, to that, that to me speaks a ton to the all the other factors that I then will look for. Yeah, I like that. Break that down a little bit though, bud. Break that down a little more. What would you be thinking? Sure. So I think, I mean, some real obvious things are, you know, in a in a spring fed or limestone or like like we have in Pennsylvania. I one, I'm going to be more assured to have stable water temps through summer right. and winter, and so I already know something about the seasonal nature of the feeding of those fish and the available food sources, mm. and then and that tells me something about the aquatic life that will be valuable when it comes to targeting those fish and, and, uh, and streams that I might fish, you know, in off, quote unquote off season, whereas some of the freestone streams might have really great fishing for some of those early spring and early summer months, but they might get too hot and not hold fish through the summer or the fish might push up into tribs. And, um, you know, there's just so much about, I feel like it impacts everything you need to know. Sure does. And it you could fish a great stream in March only to find it almost devoid of trout in July, you know? Mm, right on. Um, yeah. There's, there's other aspects to that, I'm sure. Yeah, all that stuff matters so much. Yeah. And species, yeah. like Bill brought up, you do a little research. Maybe you're... Yeah, maybe you haven't even fished it yet, but you know you are moving out, you know, to to a new new town, new new state, maybe, and you're buying this house and all that, and you say, "Man, I'm excited yeah. to have this as my new home water." And yeah, I mean, I we've all gone through stuff like that. You find out what's in there, and you find out for sure. You know, is it a tailwater? Is it a is it a freestone stream? Does it fish all year long? Is it is it a spring fed? I mean, that's what we have here, and I know that when 
I came here, it was a long time ago, 1993. I was excited to come here. I was like, ooh, yeah, yeah. Hmm. I knew about these waters. That's one of the reasons I went to Penn State. And, um, hmm. you know, and I, I was gone for a little bit and I was excited to come back because I knew that I was, it's 365, 365 days a year. You can yeah. expect to catch fish out of here, but certainly not everywhere, you know. And that affects not just the population, but the habits of those trout. And I will say back then, I didn't understand that. But by now I do. I mean, I was younger then. I was less experienced. But boy, by now, I have uh, learned enough. Like I can compare the way these rivers fish, these spring-fed streams, um, with the way the rivers that are just an hour north of here, the way they fish. And they're free stoners. And, you know, those trout do pretty much shut down in the winter. So they're much more eager to feed, boy, especially right now. You go north of here right now, you know, and, and you have some skills. You can get into some trout. So the one thing, Matt, you have a more diverse trout species population in Montana. Do do you take into consideration, like, this stream is going to have cutties, this stream is rainbows or browns? Like, does it change any of your approaches? Yeah, Bill, that's a a good question. Um, And it definitely um, plays into where my focus is. Uh, Mostly, you know, from a seasonal standpoint, just because... I mean, I'll take right now as a prime example. Uh, you could go into a heavily populated cutthroat stream right now, and they're spawning. I mean, whether it's a stream or or a lake, and where I'm used to throwing, you know, dry dropper in the summer to some of these, you know, awesome pools, they won't fish right now just because they're not in that section. But if you don't do the research and understand that that particular watershed is full of cutthroats then you're going to go in there and be like, oh man, fishing stinks and it's slow. And and that's not the case. You just chose the wrong time mm. to fish that watershed. Well, right now, you know, the rainbows are coming off of spawning. The brown trout are just in their element. And so you could go to, a, you know, a brown trout predominant area, which, you know, from experience, that's probably where I'm spending most of my time right now and have awesome fishing. Um, so it's definitely... You know, it it definitely contributes to a lot of decisions I make um, and how, you know, challenging it is to learn the water out here. I mean, it's, you're not going to, you're not going to just, voila, I understand what everything's doing. No, you got to, you got to, you know, when you have, and you guys get it, when you have five or six different world-class fisheries within 45 minutes and you really want to learn all five of them, I mean, it takes 10 years, you know of constant right. fishing in all seasons to under, to start to understand these these waters. I love that. So you just said to start to understand them. It does. It kind of takes 10 years. But, 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 we've talked a lot about doing some research. You know, we're, we're bringing up mostly here how to do, you know, your research when you first get there. And you're, you're kind of setting some expectations or maybe setting your starting points. But then, you know, once we start really fishing, you know, what are your strategies there? How are you going to learn a river? Mine is cover it. So I like the, I like the cherry picking approach when I start. Okay. I'm going to, that's nice. Good point. Let's say the first, the first time I fish a river or a stream, I will cover as much water as I can that day. Maybe I'll fish five, six miles of it. It depends on the size of the, like if it's, let's say a 20 feet wide stream, I'm probably going to cover five or six miles of it. Yeah. If there's enough access there. Yeah. If it's small, if it's 20 feet wide, yeah, you can cover a lot. Yeah. 
And when, so, when you say cherry picking, just tell everybody what you mean. So when I say cherry picking, I mean you come to an ice hole, throw in, let's say, 10 times, get 10 really good drifts. You don't get anything. Move to the next prime line yeah. that you find. And then you're fish the, the B and C water a little bit for the most yeah. part. And then um, when I do that, a lot of times I really like fishing newer streams when it's a cloudy or rainy day. And mm. so if I can throw streamers and cover all that water, mm. maybe it'll give me a, a hint of maybe yeah. there's some bigger fish in this river Nice, nice. because I yeah. can move them. Maybe there's not, but it's, it's given me, I, I, I try to fish a new stream under good conditions because if you go there and it's sunny and it's 90 degrees, it may yep. fish like crap, but there could be a lot of fish in it. Yeah, you don't know if it's your Great. fault or the weather's fault or the, right. or the fish's yeah. fault. Yeah, You're talking about cherry picking. I do that a lot, you know, when I'm fishing a new stream. And then as soon as I kind of get my feet under me for a new stream, and let's say I've fished it a dozen times, maybe less, I start to pick a section, one of my favorite sections, maybe a section I've had some success in. Then I'm going to go back. And then I'm going to do what I call the opposite of cherry picking to me is full coverage. Then I'll say, all right, I'm going to fish all this water. Because we're when we're cherry picking, like you said, you're, you're going to hit the prime stuff the most, almost all the time, just prime. But how do we know what's prime? And you can make great assumptions, really great assumptions based on all the other rivers that you've fished, but you don't quite know about this river. And especially if I... I catch some, but it's not lights out by any means. And I'm like, man, I think there's more to be had. Maybe I learn eventually by by doing full coverage in a in a great section that's 500 yards long or something. That in on this day anyway, they weren't sitting in the what I thought of as deep green prime undercuts or whatever. Wow, maybe they they're sitting on the inside. Maybe they always do this, and I'll eventually learn that. Anyway, those, that's another thing I'll do: cherry picking versus full coverage. That's a nice point, Bill. It's a good point, yeah. too. I do the same yeah. thing, kind of, like sure. you're talking about. Yeah. Yep. One other thing I'll throw in, I will 100%, if I'm fishing new water and I want to learn new water for the first yeah. dozen times, like Dom's saying, I'm nymph fishing. I'm not trying to mm, nice throw streamers. Yeah. I'm not trying to That's fair. I'm not trying to dry fly fish. I mean, if I want to know what's in that river, I'm, I got the mono <laughs> rig on and I'm tight lining mm -hmm. uh, some confidence yeah. flies. And You're trying for numbers. Yeah. I'm going after numbers and I'm dissecting yep. what that river is all about. And, and I feel like you can get a really good beat, um, on that the first time you enter it. And then, you know, and this is fast forwarding a lot, but as progression set, like as, yeah. as you visit that stream a lot, or if you're fortunate to be like us yeah. and live next to it, well, all of a sudden yeah. there's a point where you're, you're pretty confident what's in that river and what you can do with a yeah. waltz worm and a, and a prince nymph, right? And then it's about yeah. challenging yourself to, okay, I'm going to learn the hatches of this river. That, that's my yeah. next step. I don't know about you guys, but like when I get kind of fatigued mm -hmm. in the sense of the numbers, then I, all of a sudden that river can throw you another challenge if you let it and you can start learning emergences mm. and body colors yeah. and mayflies and, and then really try to catch fish on a dry fly. What do you, what do you guys think of that? I think that's a great point. Um, mm -hmm. And each creek or river, you know, has its different population or density of those individual life forms. Yeah. It brings to mind uh, a place I used to fish down South quite a bit where it was big water 
and insect life was it was pretty barren actually, but it had yeah. a low population of large wild brown trout. And mostly what was in there was only kind of stoneflies and sculpins. There wasn't a lot of mayfly activity, a little bit of caddis. So those were the patterns I'd fish mostly. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I'd experiment with those other generic, you know, mayfly patterns, but I often found that kind of following what the studies showed was in my advantage. And that's what I ended up doing best with. And that also came with time of, of learning and convincing myself that that was actually true. Cause you know, oftentimes it, it can be anything. Yeah. Matt, when you started talking about uh, tactics, nymphing as your primary tactic to really explore and learn these waters, I realized I hadn't even thought of that. You know, I always kind of think about these things beforehand. I hadn't thought of that. I mean, I love that. That's fantastic. That's the way we all kind of acknowledge. I think most people would agree. You can catch the most fish and really learn what's in there then uh, by nymphing with a good nymphing presentation and a varied nymphing presentation with an open mind and ready to hit all those water types. Trout are eating nymphs. I mean, that's it, you know, and and so you're going to be very limited, especially if you're fishing in December or January or even all the way through March and maybe April, uh, especially where you are out there, Matt. Yeah, you're not going to sure. fool, the, fool these trout on dry. So you can't really no. learn a river unless you are taking the flies to the fish. Yeah. Yep. But you see, you you have people do that, right? Oh, I've yeah. seen people that will go out and they'll they'll go onto these waters and throw a chubby Chernobyl. I see it out here all the time, right? That's like mm-hmm. everybody's go-to. I'm going to throw a chubby Chernobyl and think I'm going to catch a bunch of fish. And it's like, that's not the right approach if it's your first time. You know, unless you see a bunch of rising fish, you want to work that water, see what's going on to your point. Yeah, you got to do a little, you have to have a little understanding of what's hatching, what insects are in the system. But like, you can, we can count on our hand, right? I mean, if you throw on a, a, a pheasant tail, a prince nymph, a soft hackle or a waltz worm, yeah. in 90% of streams in America, you could probably catch a couple fish. <laughs> For sure. Right. You out in the uh, trout bit and superfly, you definitely catch fish. <laughs> the legend grows. It could have been. It could have been a prince nymph. Yet that's just an added mystery. That's right. I was just. I was trying to throw people off. It's a prince nymph. Come to the sweetheart hole, and you'll find <laughs> out. I'll tie it on for you. <laughs> Another thing I like looking yeah. at um, is <laughs> just. I like watching the gauges. I like I yeah. like weather in general, but I like to see what different levels look like on a river and sure. um, and fish that river at all of its different kind of permutations of flows throughout mm-hmm. the year and kind of find out. I mean, there are certain streams and rivers around here that either aren't worth aren't worth fishing un- under certain flows, or you sure. just know like I'm going to fish this section. I'm going to fish this particular style. And you kind of get, I mean, it shocks me all the time Yeah, how many anglers show up to the water having no idea what the flows are like and <laughs> yeah. then being surprised and not being prepared to fish the tactic mm-hmm. or the style or even have the equipment needed to fish that river um, mm-hmm. under, its, under whatever its conditions sure. are that day. But if you're watching the flows, oh, I would certainly say don't let, Oh, don't let high water turn you off or even low sure. water turn you off. Say, oh, it's so low. Oh, it's drought conditions. Or, oh, it must be blown out because I just saw it peaked. So what? Go fish yeah. it. We talked about this last week. And being that kind of angler who says, no, 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 I'm really trying to learn this river. You might find out something special. 
you mm. might find yeah. that, wow, it, when the flows come up, uh, trout really move to the edges. One of our rivers, many people tell you, when hey, when the water comes up on a river, just go fish the edges, you'll be fine. And really, I think a lot of times that is true. And when it's really dirty, a lot of times you can just kind of stand on the banks and do, well, think, do presentations that only go 10 or 15 feet out or even closer to the bank. And you might do quite well if you're disciplined about it. However, one of our local rivers, I find that is not the case. When it blows out, and it kind of does frequently, um, I still need to get presentations that get into some of those best spots. You know, it, it's a river full of structure, and I find that trout just yeah. want to hold right in that structure. They don't necessarily come over to the banks, not with yeah. any frequency. But, yeah, you find out those things by going and fishing no matter what. Don't let it hold you back. If you're really trying to learn a new river or just dial in an old river, man, fish it in all conditions, right? I think that's a, I mean, that's it, a big deal. I was just going to say real quick, that, and this should go without saying, but there are um, situations like where out, like out here for five, mm-hmm. six weeks, some of the rivers, like – you don't fish them. Nobody fishes. Yeah, them. Like you're not going right. to prove anything to anybody <laughs> right. to, to go out there out and fish them. Right. Yeah. Blown out runoff in the West mm-hmm. is Good different point. than what we're dealing with, what, what you guys are talking about. And you guys get that. Thank I just you. wanted yeah. to bring that up. It's just, like, no, thanks. You, you know, you don't, That's good. you don't need to prove anything uh, fishing the Gallatin River right now. <laughs> it's, it's okay. Those fish will, they'll be there to catch in a couple weeks. <laughs> We've actually had that a number of times here, even out here with quite a uh, quite a wet spring mm-hmm. and there's plenty of rivers that i was like no i'm not gonna fish that it's a 2000 cfs <laughs> no right right you know and it's usually and, a 300 no i'm not gonna yeah. fish that yeah right, i've sure. had people like hey should we go to this river and i'm like no no like, we should not you, you can't even stand in it right now that ain't right. gonna work right right like matt said you don't need to prove anything yeah yeah so you talked about like levels when i fish a stream for the first time i prefer it to be up maybe slightly Ooh. above average sure especially if it's a stream that's smaller because sure often the smaller streams the better fish will kind of move out from underneath undercut banks mm-hmm. deep holes and kind of move their way into some of this this to be less guarded yeah sure but it does pay to fish it when it's skinnier because sometimes you can go back and you can see you can visually Mm. see things in holes and you know rivers and streams change a lot but fishing it on the lower end of things might help you understand and fish it better when it does become high because you know where you can cross a stream because now okay this 30 yard stretch of river is only a foot deep or it's like three inches deep when it's low and so Mm -hmm. you know hey when it's when the water does come up you have the ability to come to this skinny water and fish it or at least cross back and forth between the river so you can fish either side good point nice i've learned so much about some of our bigger rivers under those drought conditions and often i've just gone with learning in mind bill kind of like you're saying i i've said hmm it's going to be low. I don't even think I'm going to catch much, but I'm going to go and really look. And sometimes I'll walk through areas that I've never been able to even possibly walk through. And I've tried to yeah. fish through them. And and you'll find that little trough or you'll find that little pothole or big pothole. And you go, oh, 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 oh that's where the fish are going to sit. And they're <laughs> always going to be there. 
Many of these are permanent structures. I call them permanent, basically, if they're made out of rocks. You know, the logs and stuff will get washed away. On uh, banks, bank structures and things will get washed away. But those rock formations in our lifetime <laughs> basically are permanent. And if you find a pothole that's made that way, I mean, that kind of excites me, really. It's one of the only really yeah. good things about drought conditions. You can really go learn a bigger river. Very true. Uh, in a way that you can't any, at any other time. Yeah, I like that. And that's the advantage of having bigger rivers around too, right? And those drought conditions, often are smaller creeks that may yeah. be local, are not, are not fishable or maybe not worth fishing or sometimes yes. not even safe to fish. But those bigger rivers that offer you know, larger diversity and depth and uh, changes in terrain are, uh, you know, are kind of a, a blessing in those situations. Good point. Yeah, good point. Since 2010, Smith Creek New Zealand has provided innovative, high-quality angling solutions designed to free up your hands, keep your gear in easy reach, and keep our waters clean. Smith Creek's award-winning rod clip attaches to your vest and grips a variety of rod sizes, freeing up your hands to tie a fly, change a hook, or release your catch. All Smith Creek products are built guide tough, using high-quality materials like anodized marine-grade aluminum, non-corrosive fasteners, and UV-resistant nylon. To learn more about other innovative products, such as the patented net holster, spent line wrangler, or rod rack, visit smithcreek.co. That's smithcreek.co. Tactical Fly Fisher was started in 2015 by fly fishing team USA angler Devin Olson with a mission to bring American anglers the techniques and gear that dominate the international competitive fly fishing scene. While you may have no desire to compete, you can still benefit from the same strategies which competitive anglers use to make them more successful on the water. Whether you want to buy a urinimping rod, a stillwater fly line, or just some hooks and beads to fill your fly box, we've got you covered and our teaching materials will help you learn how to use whatever products fill up your cart. Head on over to the tacticalflyfisher.com and use the code TFF10 to get 10% off flies, fly tying supplies, or terminal tackle. One thing I've done a lot, and I've done this with every river in our area. I mean every river. I'll fish it from bottom to top. Now, I like mm. to fish upstream. I think most of us do. So seriously, when I moved back here especially, I said, I'm going to fish every one of these main rivers, and I've done it with every secondary river by now, from the bottom, I mean from the mouth, all the way up to the top, the headwaters, literally the headwaters. And the only thing I skip over is occasionally when there's some posted stuff. Occasionally. Right. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> okay. I'm a law-abiding citizen, Bill. Not bad. Of course, you're not doing that in one day or even one week or even sometimes one month, but if you're fishing every day, all right, even if you're only fishing a few days a week, or heck, even if you're a weekend warrior and you're going out there once a week on a Saturday, every Saturday, we'll take every Saturday and focus on one river and pick up where you left off, I don't know, the day before or the week before. If you can cover five miles is a lot for me, but I trust that you can do that, Bill. <laughs> but if you, anyway, if you can cover one mile of water in a day, you know, and then you just pick up where you left off, Boy, that's the way to really learn it. We've been talking about learning the habits of these uh, trout in there and especially the conditions, what happens when a lot of rain comes on this river we're trying to learn. But really, if you can cover every piece of that water from the mouth all the way up to the headwaters, to the very top, you are going to learn so much. Well, you're going to kind of learn everything 
about that river system. Because in the process of covering all that, it might take you 30, 40, 50 days on the water. I don't know how big is it, right? Um, in the process of covering all that, you're going to hit a bunch of different conditions too. You're going to learn it. When we started talking about this topic, that's the first thing that came to mind is how I got to do that with all of our rivers. And on some of them now, I've done it two or three times. Starting at the bottom, fishing as much as you can, and the next day or the next time you're out, picking up where you left off. Hmm. I'll add also to that, you have like feeder streams and tributaries. Sure, sure. It's also worth you know, exploring those at top, like yeah. high water times, maybe the fish are going to migrate into it. Um, yeah. So you think in terms of the whole watershed, not just, you know, your yep. main river. That's a cool point. Well, right. Like that's, that's all about the, the fly fishing life we talk about, right? You can add those things in cause you don't want to bite off too, too much, but like that just shows you how er- like never ending the sport is. And and I think yeah. a lot of us love it for that because there's just a never ending exploration, uh, feel to it because of yeah. all those tribs and the different hatches and, you know, where fish relocate. Like if you get bored fishing, you probably should give it up because you're not going to do it forever. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. There's no, I always tell my kids, the worst of all like human conditions is boredom. There's no excuse for being bored as a human being especially in this information age. But as a fisherman, there's no reason to be bored, right? There's always places to go. I said, I have gone, once I've done the bottom to top, you know, now I've gone back and done it again. And my, it's like a completely different river. It is. You know? (laughs) That's the cool thing is you think like you can learn a river well, and then you can get a big flood and that Mm. river system can change. Yes. And it's, it's cool because it's like, okay, I need to rediscover where the buckets are. There's new logs down. There's a couple log jams in this run, or maybe my favorite bucket is now covered with logs <laughs> and I can't fish it anymore. And yeah. so I got to find a new favorite bucket to fish now. I think another recently, this was sort of illustrated to me because Josh and I have been starting our night fishing for the yeah. year. And there's some, there's a stretch of river that we've fished before and we've pretty consistently got into some better fish through, through this particular, very specific area and not fully understood the, the kind of depth of why that was. And we hung up on the bank there this past time and, and kind of moved over to it and sort of knowingly blew up that water and Mm, we're kind of exploring that section of the stream and, here we find streams just kind of like there's a spring kind of seeping mm. into that river out of the bank in that area in addition to kind of an undercut bank underneath of that. Mm. And so you have this cool combination of, of persistent cold water flow through the summertime along with the shelter mm-hmm. to house a bigger fish. And it drove home to me that like take the time you mentioned this with the low water and exploring a stream, but take the time to maybe wade across to the opposite bank in a river that you pretty much only fish one side of, or that you fish from one side and fish it from the opposite side and explore, like get up a close and personal with some of the features that you see in that river. And yeah, when the fish start to speak to you and you say, yeah, I always catch fish in this section, make sure you know why. It's pretty cool. I do that on a very regular basis. I'll fish an area, and if I don't know the river, I'll fish this, 
And I feel like I got great drifts with my whatever, dry flies, nips, streamers, wet flies. Okay. I get my drifts. And often I'll wade right into where I was just fishing. And maybe I maybe I was nymphing. And I think like I got I got down deep enough. I think, you know, I got my strike zone. I saw my slowdown on my cider and whatever. And then I wade into it and I go, oh, that's deeper than I thought it was. Mm-hmm. Or and Matt, you and I have talked about this a lot. Just finding those like perfect potholes. And yep. it, or I'll wade in and I'll go, oh my, oh, that's nice. That's wider than I thought it was. Hmm. Or, you know, here's the top end and the bottom end of the pothole, and that's only four four feet long. I like oh, boy, that. That's, that's where the fish was, you know. Mm-hmm. And I missed them that time. Fair enough. I I didn't know that pothole was there, but now I do. Now really, I know it's there. And not you're collecting data. Yeah, and day. I don't even need low water like we were talking about to, to do that. I could just walk through it. I might not even, heck, I might not even be able to see my boots down there if I look down. Right. Th- sure, but in high water, mm-hmm. in high water, I think that's a good example because you know where that yeah. sweet, sweet spot is. And they yeah. might even lay in there during high water. And, For sure. you know, yeah. guys might not cover that same pothole thoroughly because they think yeah. they're covering it on the edges and around when it's a couple hundred CFS higher than normal. But you know, you got to wait out up to your belly button to mm-hmm. get it out into that sweet spot. And it can really pay off for you having that yeah. mindset dome. Like Trevor yeah. was saying, I mean, often you just go over and you'd blow it up intentionally. Well, I'm done fishing yeah. here. Right. So I'm gonna, and sometimes I think accidentally this started for me when I would go to get my snags. Ah, oh, man, I screwed mm-hmm. that up. Well, let me go get my flies. I don't know, just like to leave them in a tree. So I go get them and then boom, I'd be down to, you know, to my belt yeah. line. I go, wow, that's deeper than I thought it was. And I yeah. realized, wow, next time I'll come back, I'm getting deeper mm-hmm. and whatever. Then now I do it purposefully. And sometimes you wait into those spots too and uh, you'll spook fish out of them. Mm-hmm. After you just fished through it and you didn't Good. catch anything or yeah. you your flies back. <laughs> yeah. So I'll pay attention to where I spook fish from. Nice. And if I keep realizing I'm spooking them out of the same water type, yeah. uh, then I'm gonna then I'm gonna pay attention. That's a great point. Sue. I think I had to yeah, and I had to overcome that fear. Like you said, intentionally blowing up water as a hunter mm. like in the hunting mindset, you really mm. like if you pressure an area, you may completely eliminate it from the deer's routine, you know? And mm-hmm. so you're really conscious of putting that kind of a pressure on a deer. And yet the fish have limited options. You know, yeah. they're like, I sometimes think about that when I'm standing there, I'm like, you've got from this bank to that bank yeah. and you've got, you know, like <laughs> you can't go anywhere. That's right. Like, and, and so they're in this routine of being yeah. spooked, but then recovering, spooked and then recovering. Mm-hmm. And so I think sometimes people avoid, they're like, I don't want to, I don't want to walk over there. I'll just pull my, I'll just break off. Mm. But I don't know, make a habit of it maybe for our listeners of walking over and get your fly out, not to save the fly, but just to explore some more water. Sure. Absolutely. That is, I think it is different with hunting and I'm no hunter. Yeah. I mean, you know that, right? I'm oh, a squirrel hunter. Great, the mighty squirrel hunter. I'm a mighty. <laughs> and once I, once I feel my tag. He's got a few pelts on the wall. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway. It does seem pretty different. Like you said, you yeah. could push those uh, yeah. deer or turkey or whatever out of that. Yeah. And you're afraid of doing that. My, my yeah. grandfather used to yeah. talk about that. Like, man, we're not even going to scout this area right here right. so hard. 
we're not going to do that because we don't want to push this this game around. Right. Yeah. And I don't think it's the same with trout That's for the right. most part. I think I can go get my do this is what we're talking about. You know, kind of go go explore that riverbed a little bit. And those trout are going to come right back in yeah. if they're residents yeah. for that area. Yeah. So now, if you did it too often, you got to think, you know, Matt, you believe quite a bit, right? That the angler pressure will will push trout away from spots. I do. Oh, I I agree with that too. I'm a hundred. Mm-hmm. I'm a hundred percent on board with that. I mean, yeah. Um, I've seen it way too many times. Yeah. Out here to where you you know there's, I don't know. They just they react. Everything in nature tends to react to yeah. overpressure at times. So yeah, that's when the tiddlers move in. That's when you're <laughs> catching a lot of tiddlers. <laughs> they got to go somewhere. They Unless do. you, you know, if you, if you really do your, your job and go get those snags and you know where those secret spots are, you're just going to yeah. catch tiddlers. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Along those lines, like mm-hmm. you can't, like if you find something good, don't abuse it. Like, oh, if that's a good point. Yeah. So like, okay, I found a Amen. good stream and I caught, <laughs> right. I, I caught a, you know, I, I'm catching some bigger fish out of here. Don't go back every weekend and beat it up and fish right. like that you know that hundred yard stretch every time yeah you know if you're if you caught it if let's say you catch a big fish the first time in a river yeah. and it's out of spot a there's more of those fish in the river like yeah. don't limit yourself to spot a and then go back the next time and fish the next mile of river <laughs> or whatever like don't go back and just because if you go back and abuse that the, yeah. Those fish are going to say, well, every Saturday I'm getting a hook wedged in the side of my face. <laughs> it's Saturday. I'm, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not staying there. I'm going to go, I'm going to migrate, you know, out of this system or, yeah. you know, they're going to start to, they'll start to figure it out. The more pressure yeah. you put on the fish, the the harder the fishing will become. And yeah. so you're going to hurt yourself in the future. We've seen that firsthand, right? I mean, seriously. Oh, yeah. We, I think we've all seen that. Hmm. Yep. I think we're all like that. And I can't tell you how many yeah. times I hear people say, well, the the fishing wasn't as good as yesterday. And how <laughs> much of it You were in the same to, spot. Yeah. Right. You, But you went to right. the same spot yeah. and it has nothing right. to do with your flash selection or mm-hmm. anything like that. There's only so many. We, we all acknowledge that a lot of fish are going to eat a waltz worm. Right. Mm-hmm. But yeah. we also acknowledge that if you sat in the same hole day after day after mm-hmm. day and pounded them with the yeah. same two flies, you're probably not going to do as good mm-hmm. as if you just kind of moved on. Maybe you're following the hatch yeah. upstream, you know, mm-hmm. explore some different water and you're going to mm-hmm. have more success as opposed to just pounding the same stretch again. On that point, let me, let me say, I don't believe at all that trout need to be caught on a fly to realize that's not that's not the real thing. They can oh, get conditioned to that point. copper bead waltz worm just because they see mm-hmm. bad drifts on it or even good drifts on it for over and over and over. And they go, that's not food. That's not food. That's not food. You know what? Today, it's Tuesday. I saw that back there on, on <laughs> Sunday. It wasn't food then. It's not, you know, you know what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. Um, they get conditioned and they, yeah, absolutely. They say, I'm not eating waltz worms with a copper bead. Right. Mm-hmm. The same thing, you know, I, th- I feel like for you, a while, I feel like you hear it more on dry fly anglers when the hatch gets extent, you know, the hatch is in its 14th day and people start altering patterns because the yeah. fish are getting picky. Right. We hear that all the time. And John, yeah. to your point, yeah. it happens underneath the surface too. Like it does, right. It's, it, you just yeah. might not mm-hmm. see, it, see it, but it, it happens underneath the surface. 
Yeah, I think people don't recognize it as much under the surface. And I guess that's why, because we don't see the actual refusal and the rejection, but but it has to be happening. We point. recognize that. Yeah. Yep. That's why I hardly ever guide the same places over and over and over, you know, in the same week. I'll split it up. Um, I've done it. And honestly, this season, I've been guiding a, a nice section of water over and over because it continues to produce. But I'm saying that's the unusual thing. That's the anomaly. Usually, if I guide it two or three days in a row, uh-uh, that third day is, mm, well, not on the same patterns, not with the same tactics, right? Sure. Yeah. One other thing that I found mm-hmm. myself doing a little bit more out here as far as thoroughly learning a river, um, I found yeah. myself... When, and I'll give this example, when the salmon flies are hatching on, a, you know, one of the famous tailwaters out here. Yeah. It's really hard to pull away from that fun and at times that success mm. because it only happens for a week every summer on that particular stream, yeah. right? But I've I've tried to make myself peel off going to that specific spot to experience other parts of my local rivers that nobody's on a mm. different bugs hatching and the fish could be really dialed into this. I'm going to make this up a mahogany done that nobody talks okay. about because everybody's on that, on the famous river fishing salmon flies. And what I'm getting at yeah. is in order to really learn your rivers there's times, and you guys get it, right? Because your rivers, everything doesn't necessarily hatch exactly at the same time, right? You could have sure. a, an emergence right. hatch earlier and later than others. And so when I will say the green drake's popping, right? Well, there could be this, you know, the green drake might be over in another stream and have a really spectacular yeah mayfly hatch that nobody's talking about and you don't get to really what i'm getting at is you don't really get to learn your river unless you peel back and and really spend some of the best fishing on other streams sacrificing some of those days and fishing your 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 you know the river you want to learn right 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 and to your point don't chase the fame of a hatch like chase good fishing and so if everyone is going to stream A because there's this huge sulfur hatch here or there's this huge green drake hatch here, if everyone is there, you're going to be limited to what you can fish because everyone is there. And so go to River A. Maybe it doesn't have a good hatch, but maybe there will be less anglers there. Yeah. And you can, you know, you're going to have more of the river and maybe those fish are less pressured back to our other point. And so they might be more apt to eat. Yeah. A case in point last year was I was fishing a freestoner that I wouldn't have fished. Like I, I was like, I got I wonder, it's like a mystery to me. Like what happens on that river during big bug season on this, ta- you know, where everybody's fishing these tailwaters. And I went and was rewarded with a salmon fly hatch that was almost better than the, uh-huh. than the one everybody was fishing. And I would have never known that. If I didn't think to myself, well, I, I, I know this river, but I really don't know this river during this stretch. Yeah. And boy, was that a good decision because now I learned it a little more. And, and now I'll have a hard time not fishing it this year, right? Because it's still kind of new to me. Nice. Um, but I'm more okay passing up the, you know, the, the known hatch 
for this so-called lesser hatch, um, you know, it's, you can get rewarded by doing things like that. And it does feel good to focus on one watershed for a long time and to Mm. really have this kind of knowledge that we're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. I think another thing that I think about that kind of stems off that point is the seasonal changes that a river might go through and, and then even the like daylight to sunset kind of changes Mm. that a river goes through. And, um, so often we find ourselves fishing one particular time of day, maybe because that's when we have our opportunities to fish, but it's, it can feel like a completely different river sometimes fishing Mm. it at a different time of day. And, um, this is a season around here where we have a lot of hatches and there's a lot of fishermen filled up in our parking lot, sitting in lawn chairs, waiting for the evening to fish. And yet on some of those really popular rivers and during those popular hatches that might be evening kind of hatches, boy, there's also some really good fishing to be had in the early morning, you know, and learning that there's even bug diversity on those rivers with kind of more prominent hatches that can just be found at the off hours or the hours that not many others are fishing is a, is a kind of a, yeah, kind of to Grobe's point of being willing to fish during times or, or, or seasons in which maybe there isn't quite as much attention. And you're probably thinking about night fishing. And yeah, as you're exactly. talking about that, that's what I'm yeah. thinking too. Yeah. <laughs> that many of these rivers that I'm talking about, our locals, our favorites. Yeah. When I night yeah. fished them is when I really started to feel like I knew them. Yeah. And you never are complete, of course. And I don't want to say it that way, but it did... Oh, fill in many gaps, fishing all these rivers at night, filled in many gaps, many questions. It it didn't answer questions, but it gave me more data toward those answers. So you brought about like different, different times of day and I'll throw in like elements. So the two big things that affect rivers, at least when I'm fishing are sun and wind. Mm -hmm. And so if you know that the wind is coming from this direction you know, if you know the river and you know it's, it's going to bend in the next mile and maybe yeah. you can walk down to that bend and it's going to block the wind. That's or if, if, you, if you fished, you know, if since we're first light guys, there are some sections of river that I will not fish at first light anymore because yeah. the sun comes up and it's, and it's right in your eye and it creates a horrible glare. And Agreed. so I'm either going to fish, if I can't fish from the other side of the river, then I'm going to kind of skip over that and maybe i'll hit that later in the day yeah when i don't have that horrible glare on the water yeah and you almost have to be on the you can look at maps and <laughs> figure out yeah. your 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 angles where east is in the morning and where west is uh but yeah you almost have to be on the water and realize oh you know what there's a bend here and this bend gets really windy when the wind gets real bad i don't want to be there hey anything else guys I was curious, you know, how about uh, how much we share with other anglers, whether it be, um, you know, your best buddy who maybe has explored the stream before or uh, the guy in the at the fly shop across the counter. You know, how much do we talk about, uh, you know, new rivers and, um, you know, what kind of information are we comfortable with asking or comfortable receiving from from other people? I guess I'm pretty protective of if I've fished a river and I know it really well to just, you know, Hey, Joe Bob asked me how this river (laughs) is. And I'm like, it's got fish in it. Like, I'm not going to give him, I'm not going to give him the, uh, the, the Bible version of how this river (laughs) is going to fish. 
How about the other um, way around, though? Like, you don't know it at all. Somebody else does. I don't like, like, Dom, I think, wrote yeah. an article one time, like, yeah. don't tell me the secret. Right. I want to fish it, maybe. For me, I feel like I don't know a river until I've been on it, like, I'll say 20 days. Then I feel like I've had a grasp of I fished it a couple times of the year. I fished it in different conditions. And then I'm going to come back to the guy that knows the river. I think that's a really cool part of having like fishing friends that have done that. And then compare notes and say like, hey, did you catch one around the bend or under this rock? And sometimes things line up really well where you're like, okay, you kind of both figure the same things out. But I feel like there's other times where, you know, hey, somebody likes this spot and somebody likes that spot. I think that's a really cool part of having close fishing friends that you can share that information with. Yeah, cool. Yeah. And even within those close fishing friends, though, you talked about the article I wrote. I think I called (laughs) it Save the Discovery because I love that discovery. I was saying how fish from the bottom to the top. I want to do that myself. And I, I don't even want the advice from my close fishing friends about like, hey, if you park here and you walk up, there's an undercut bank. No, 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 I'll figure it out. <laughs> and it's not that I'll figure out figure it out better than you, mm-hmm. but I don't even want your influence or your input. Because then when I'm, I'm going up there, I'm going to be going, oh, I better wait over there and fish that bank because Bill said that's the best spot. Mm-hmm. Nah, I love that discovery and that exploration because, oh, I'll put it this way. We're talking about learning these new rivers, new to us rivers. I am a little sad when I have fished it from bottom to top. Now, I recognize there's plenty more to learn through the years, right? But when I've covered all of that water, when I've seen every mile, when I've seen every bit of that water from bottom to top, I get a little disappointed that I, well, here I am at the headwaters, you know? Hmm. And yeah, I'm always like, well, I've just, I've done that. And that exploration is kind of over for the first time anyway. Yeah, I can come back and do it again. Yeah, it'll be a little bit different. That discovery, that exploration to me is uh, priceless. And I almost don't want it tainted or influenced Mm. by anybody else's opinion. So when people start asking me for that, you know, if I was in a fly shop and somebody wants to have a conversation about this popular river, and like you said, Bill, I'm happy to share a couple of things about semi-popular access and yeah i'll be happy to tell you man they were eating nymphs really low today you had to get really low you know or boy it, it was it was a shady thing and as soon as as soon as i got back in the shade i was doing all right that's great that's great information but i don't like just sharing secrets that i think are better you're better off learning them yourself you know nice. you want to save the discovery for everybody yeah. else too whether they realize that they want it for themselves or not you got to work for it that's cool i think that's the thing that's probably a little bit off-putting to to most of us when, yeah. you know, like you'll see a, a good fish posted yeah. or you'll see, I don't know, like the first thing everybody wants to know is where'd you catch it? What'd you catch yeah. it on? How'd yeah. you do, you know, like they want the the list of details that in their mind are going to allow them to walk up to that spot, yeah. do right. none of the front work and, and catch the same fish. But that's just not, that's not the experience that we are looking for. Right. And the great thing is you guys can all go out and learn a river like we're talking about. And you're going to learn very different things than I do. Hmm. We're, yeah, we're all yeah. going to learn different things about that same river. We're going to approach it differently. That's true. And then then if you go and share uh, kind of what what we all know about that river, 
you know, that's next cool. time we're over at your place, that's Trevor, cool. having a fire, yeah. you know, then you can really learn some things even more. That's a good point. Yeah. You know, and in, in reflecting back to night fishing again, like I think yeah. that's been a cool thing for us to talk about because, you know, you read, you read, I mean, I read Jim Bashline's book. I read everything yeah. Joe Humphrey said about night fishing. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, I learned everything you had to say about night fishing yeah. and, and then went out and fished some of the same waters and, and yet had some similar and some really different successes. Sure. And so it's cool to share those together and, and sort of assimilate our information into, into a more comprehensive view of it. And, and honestly, it's kind of fun, I think, to realize like, I don't know it all. You know, and, yeah. and I say I collectively, like, it's right, sure. fun to realize, like, there's more fish to be had than I've even realized, and there's more ways to catch them. Nice. And I remember last year we were fishing a local waterway all together, and I think Austin was the only one catching fish. And, um, you know, sure enough, yeah, sure enough, like, he's he's presenting his fly in a subtly different way. Must have been dragging. He must have been on the drag that day. Drag full drifts. He was. <laughs> they were on. They were on crappy presentations that night. <laughs> That's right. How do I make my presentation? Yeah, the old garbage presentation. <laughs> Go ahead, Trevor. It's the only explanation. No, I just think that stuff's cool. I just, <laughs> Keep I like, talking about it, Trevor. I love. Keep talking. <laughs> Rub it in. You were saying how I was catching more fish. He was than catching other more fish. And yeah, I'll get you. And sure enough, he was doing something different that I could that we could all learn from. Right. I think he was so fishing think, with the wrong hand. Ah, yeah. Lefty. <laughs> Left-handed. Left-handed presentations. That's what required yeah. that day. Mm. Good job, loser. <laughs> you guys are all so mean. <laughs> Take that back. <laughs> all right. All right, there it is. That's it. Learning a river and discovering its secrets. So truly knowing a river starts by learning your skills. Learn the tactics to fish well. Gain confidence in your presentations and then dig in. Fish hard and fish often. Focus on one watershed. Then fish every access, every bend, every mile from bottom to top and keep an open mind. In truth, all of this goes hand in hand. Committing yourself to fishing an entire watershed or even just one river from its mouth to the headwaters is an inspirational undertaking that is sure to lead into unique situations. You'll be presented with new mysteries and fresh challenges. And across your seasons of exploration, you'll not only learn the water, you'll refine your fishing skills. Researching before we hit the water is exciting. Planning a trip and mapping out access is all part of the process. But nothing really starts until your boots hit the water. So fish all of it. Fish well beyond the boundaries of the special regs areas and learn some of the uncommon secrets of your river. Visit it in all four seasons and fish it from the surface to the riverbed. Fish it no matter the conditions. Do this without expectations and what you find will surprise you. Knowing a river is one of the great joys in fly fishing. And as we watch it change through the years, it becomes like seeing a loved one grow and travel through life. These rivers become part of us. They're part of our energy and part of our identity. All right, thanks again for listening. Remember, if you enjoy these podcasts, then find the Troutbitten website with articles published three times a week and find the Troutbitten YouTube channel with new videos every two weeks. Trevor, will you read us out? Remember, Troutbitten.com is a free resource for all anglers. With over 800 articles, there are stories, commentaries, tactics, tips, and more. 
Find what you like through the top menu and through the search page. Navigate by way of the categories and the tags too. Thank you for listening to the Trout Bitten Podcast. Please give the show a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment because that stuff really helps. Until next time, friends, fish hard, enjoy the day, and find your life on the water. Come fish with me, I'll show you. Yeah. I'm not telling you. Come to the sweetheart hole. That's when the tiddlers move in. I'll show you some fishing. You know. You're just going to catch tiddlers. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? It's a Prince Nev. I'll tie it on for you. This podcast is sponsored by Google.